Well, good morning to you all, you faithful first service people. And uh, if you got some of our messaging saying if uh, you're a second person uh, service person and you came to this service, thank you. And uh, I do want to say, though, I, I heard a little bit of a birdie tell me that some people think we don't have room in church for them and they want to leave room for other people with children. And I want to say to everybody, we have room for everybody. And uh, so if you want to come to church, come to church. We have not even come close to exhausting all the space that we could use. And uh, we are so blessed. I just heard this last week. Some people from our church are driving Dawson Creek to go to restaurants. And I don't know if you're aware, churches aren't allowed to meet in BC. We're, our restaurants may be closed, but our churches aren't. And so each area has kind of taken things up a little differently in a different approach. Um, Rob Reamer, in a recent book, wrote that, and this really still speaks to our time right now. He wrote that anger most often leads to rebellion. And we know what the scripture says about rebellion. And if we are ever in an age right now of anger, I mean, I have read about ordinary folks who marched in Washington, D.C. and took over their... Uh, uh, no, I forget what it's called. Anyway, their, their government house. And uh, these are ordinary people. These are people that just are angry. Uh, maybe you're here or watching online and you've lost your job, your business has gone down, your, your oil field isn't what it used to be, and you're angry. You're angry at somebody. Somebody has to answer to this. And uh, of course, in this sinful world, there are lots that need to answer for this. But let me encourage you. Anger, if undealt with, will lead to rebellion, which really is sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> we are in a world right now where there's so much topsy-turvy turmoil. Uh, entire industries are being decimated. Uh, jobs are, are uh, people are being cut back in their wages. Uh, there are a few areas where they're working like crazy, but God, for the most part, this has been disruption. Our routines are no longer the same. Our, our habits, those things that bring us life are, are no longer available to us. And no, God, we have a sense of anger within us. There is so much anger in the world and you see this welling up to a lot of rebellion, a lot of frustration. And we know, God, that you are the God of peace. Uh, you, you literally will give us peace that passeth all understanding. Oh God, help us to lay our anger at your feet. Help us to receive your presence and your power this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now all of that said, that had nothing really to do with my sermon, but I, I had just, as the, uh, we have a team that prays at eight o'clock in the gym for the service, and as we were hearing God, uh, that was something that was brought up and said. Somebody is reading a book by Rob Reamer, and, uh, or yeah, Reamer is how he says it. Uh, yes, he's a Mennonite that doesn't know how to say his name right. But uh, uh, so I, I wanted to bring that out, because if you're frustrated or dealing with anger, uh, the topic this morning is prayer again. And I have become more and more convinced that one of our struggles here in North America is our wealth and our organization and our systems and our methods. 
And we have not even come close. Now, I pastored a couple of really struggling churches. And so I kind of had to learn that the only way forward for me was on my knees in prayer. But in North America, we have so much. And we've always been able to figure it out. Come up with a plan. Come up with the money. And right now, everything is being turned over. And you are going to be very easily led to anger. And I'm just saying, don't let the devil do it. You can ask the Lord, is something I can learn out of this? You can ask the Lord, prayer, what can I do to go forward? And may our anger, may our disruptions drive us to our knees in prayer. I was uh, somebody who is helping me out work with prayer ministry in church, asked me if I had any good books on prayer. And uh, I, I had to phone a friend, you know, just like the game show. And I said, oh, please tell me some good books in prayer. And some of them I were familiar with. And the one that he recommended mostly, I wasn't familiar with, but I recommended to this person to read. And I thought, if I'm going to recommend a book, I should probably read it. So I started reading it last week. And it's called Old Paths, New Power, Awakening Your Church Through Prayer, and the Ministry of the Word by Daniel Henderson. And in this book, as I started reading it, I went, wow. It was written in 2016, and it was almost prophetic. And I never quote this much. I don't like to quote more than three or four lines. And so I'm asking you to put on your patience hat and uh, listen carefully to what Daniel says. Churches, now, now he, he talks about uh, what would it be like if you were to pick up the newspaper or your tablet and you read this. Churches across the USA grow rapidly. Leaders cannot explain why. With curiosity on high alert, you grab your smartphone and you begin to search for similar stories. Unexpectedly, the news reports leap off the screen. You can't believe what you're seeing. You have prayed for this, although not always in faith. You have longed for this kind of breakthrough in your own church, wondering if it would ever come. Then you recall the recent days you have seen an unusual uptick in prayer and fresh stirrings of the Spirit in your own congregation, and you ponder. But now your Google search takes you to more headlines. From Miami, five rabbis leave their synagogues for Christian church. After dramatic conversion from greater Minneapolis, you read, dozens of Islamic leaders renounce their faith to join Christians. Or a movement from Orange County, California. Local Buddhist priests cause stir by declaring that Jesus Christ is God from Salt Lake City. You read, Mormon leaders to discard extra-biblical documents in a dramatic shift of core beliefs from New England. You read, recent surveys show Bible sales up 200%. And from Time magazine, leading atheists embrace evidence for Jesus' resurrection, offer public apologies to Christians, and your excitement rises in inexpressible gratitude and profound expectation. The greater hope of Jesus Christ living through a revived church seems to be dawning with entirety, unanticipated developments. The prayers of God's people over decades of desperate intercession are now coming to a fruition redeeming opponents of the gospel and transforming communities across the landscape. And the writer goes on to say, do you think this could happen today? 
And he answers the question, he says, actually this has happened repeatedly over the last 2,000 years. And he said the very first happening of this kind of news headlines stuff happened in the first century. And he writes down Acts chapter six, verse seven, listen. And the words of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to faith. Read that slowly again, the writer writes. Try to absorb the profound and practical implications of what is being said. Think about the incalculable impact described in this one succinct sentence. Remember that for the first five chapters in the books of Acts, thousands were being added to the church in Jerusalem. By Acts chapter six, verse one, the numbers were multiplying. Some scholars believe the church could have been could have had as many as 20,000 men and women as chapter six commences. By verse seven, it says that the number of the gospel transformed lives had multiplied greatly. Honestly, as the writer writes, we have before us two options in the American church and I'll add the Canadian church. Number one option, recession. The continual gradual but steadily receding a biblical Christianity in the United States and Canada. Or number two, revival. A fresh work of God not engineered or manufactured by human strategists but unleashed by God's spirit. As a journalist, the writer writes, with expertise in summarizing boxes of data, I set out a few years ago to take the pulse of the Bible-believing Christianity. I did so by aggregating thousands of pages from multiple researchers. The resulting book, The Great Evangelical Recession, unveils a mosaic in the church in America. The data reveals a smaller American, and I will add Canadian church, than many of us thought existed. A movement declining as a percentage of the population. Largely, listen to this, failing to disciple its own children and increasingly oppressed by powerful forces in the broader culture. The greater evangelical recession, the great evangelical recession, at least in 2013, he writes this in 2016, it predicted that barring a radical change in trajectory, the church in the US, and I will again say Canada, will continue being pushed into the edges, the periphery of society, that hostility towards Christianity will increase and that some large ministries will begin struggling financially because they rely on the donations from the oldest two generations. Since then, since 2013 and 2016, he writes this, since then we have seen the following. The Southern Baptist Convention has announced it will cut 600 to 800 missionary staff, calling missionaries home from the field due to a 200 million funding shortage. An American Christian has been physically jailed, he writes, for refusing to sign her personal signature on a same-sex marriage license. A brilliant tech innovator of a JavaScript programming language has been publicly shamed and forced out of the company he co-founded, Mozilla, because of his Christian views. The Supreme Court in the U.S., ruled to redefine marriage nationwide, effectively vetoing the Defense of Marriage Act. 
and constitutional amendments across many of the 50 United States, the president celebrated by illuminating the White House with the symbolic rainbow colors of gay pride. New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof, himself not a Christian, described his concern about increasing hatred towards Christians in the leading edge of society's writing. In liberal circles, evangelicals constitute one of the few groups that it is safe to mock openly. How do you think we're doing as a church? With all of our wealth in Grand Prairie, with our beautiful, big, wonderful building, with all of our staff, how do you think we're doing? We, we have seen some modest, continued growth in our church. But I can tell you in my 30 plus years of ministry, it's getting tougher. Our methods are not working anymore. Our church growth stuff, which probably wasn't that great to begin with, is just falling flat. Our young people are leaving our evangelical churches. 80% of them are walking away. Oh, by the way, some of the research recently by Joel Tieschen from our Ambrose University, he said that those 20% that stay, and I encourage you to go to the parenting class if you're a parent of a child in this church, those 20% stay, stay because Christianity is taught at home. That anger that you have at the church because your kid's walking away, get over it. Get at it at home. And in Christianity is acted out and lived at home and the kids see it, those kids stay in the church. We have become a church that's anemic. We no longer have the force of the Holy Spirit flowing in us. And what has thrilled me the most about church renewal and soul care and the Holy Spirit weekend and the stuff we've been through recently is a realigning of the church to the presence and the power of God. And this morning, I wanna just hit it so hard that if we don't start becoming a praying church, if we don't start becoming a praying church, all the money in the world, all the nice fancy buildings, all the tech that we have will do us nothing. We might be one of the last ones to close our doors with all of our efforts, but if we do not get on our knees in desperation, praying for our loved ones, praying for our children, praying for the people groups that we're looking at, we are gonna see a continued recession in the church. Two weeks ago in my sermon, I read this verse from Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. So what are we doing as a church? What are you doing as an individual? And why is it you're not praying? I asked myself, I looked in the mirror and I said, why don't you pray? And all, for me, it was unbelief. I don't know, I've prayed before and God never answers is what I said. And I went, well, that's ridiculous. I know that's not true. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I mean, we heard testimony here today of when you pray, when, when an IW is struggling on the field and, and the IW sends home the message, church, pray, and then things happen. How can we not believe in prayer? We need to pray in all occasions. 
We need to identify pivotal times to pray. And I believe this is really important. However, we can't always predict when we will need to take time to pray. In order to truly put this passage that I read in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 into practice, we must remain close in close fellowship with God. Oh, and I'm so excited about the hearing God stuff that we've been learning in the church. If we stay in close fellowship with God and if we are aware of his presence in our lives, then we will always know when we should be praying. The ultimate goal is for prayer to be a regular and frequent habit. And you probably know it takes a while to get a habit going, so get at it, start praying. And when we have this habit, we begin to pray throughout the day. And I just wanted to list to you a, a list of potential moments when you would be able to pray. I wanted to wet your whistle. These are not exhaustive. But number one, you can pray when a gift comes from into God, into your life, from God into your life. James 1.17 says it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So when should you pray? Every time, any good gift comes, every time you get a paycheck, every time you sit down to eat. Oh, most of us do that a bit, right? But you understand that this idea of praying for a meal is, is thank you, God, that I have food. Well, why wouldn't we pray for the new car and the new house and, and the letter that comes from somebody we haven't heard from in a long time or the email that comes to encourage you? When something new comes into your life, it's worth spending some time praying about it and dedicating it to God, saying, just thank you, God. Number two, another possible time that you could pray, when you need something. We know Jesus' prayer. When we need something, we pray. James 4.2 says, you desire, but do not have. So you kill. You know, that's that anger welling up into sin. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Oh man, are we in that world right now, quarreling, fighting, because we're not getting what we used to get. You do not have because you do not ask God. Oh, I've often, I've read that prayer or that verse so many times going, I wonder how many times I've gone without. I've been in frustration because I didn't ask. Verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Are you hearing what the scriptures are saying? Number three, we should pray when confusion sets in. You know, the first thing I do is I get a piece of paper and I try to figure out my problem and what solutions I could come up. I put pros and cons and I start saying, okay, here's what happens, where can I go? Why wouldn't I stop and pray? Isaiah 55, nine says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why wouldn't we tap into this God who hung on a cross so that we could be reconciled with him, so that we could have this open channel of dialogue, two-way dialogue with him? So when we're in confusion, why wouldn't we pray and connect with the one who knows everything? Number four reason we could pray is when a crisis occurs. Philippians 4, 6, we talked about this two weeks ago. Don't be anxious about anything. Are you anxious this morning? Is your anxiousness leading to anger? Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
Are, are you starting to see and hear the language of Scripture? I, I hope it's shining a bright light on you. And, and, and I don't mean to always make you feel guilty, but I want you to feel guilty if you're not praying this morning. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. One of the things I often say to people, if you're having a hard time hearing God, start with what this says. Take your anxieties, lift it to him. Have some thanksgiving, confess any sin. And then just be quiet. And let him speak to you. Number five reason or time that you should pray is when sin stands in your way. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And it accomplishes so much. I just happened to come across somebody last Sunday or last week. I was in the church. I said, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. And they said, well, I was so sick. And I realized that, uh, that, that I had to confess some stuff. I had to deal with some soul wounds and some hurts. And I did that over a few weeks and months. And, and they said that the elders also prayed for them. And she said, I was so healed that all my physical problems went away. And now I can come to church. And it's like, you may or may not be aware that soul hurt and pain can physically manifest itself in, in disease and issues and problems. Don't overthink that, by the way. Number six reason why you should pray or when you should pray. When stress consumes your life, 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of even life itself. Have you ever been under that? Verse 9, indeed we, felt, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see where a life of prayer goes to, how you, you connect with the God that knows everything? Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. This is the Apostle Paul, the shaker and mover of the early church. And you will help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Verse, or reason number seven, or a thing that you can be praying. When you are showered with blessings. Matthew seven eleven says, if you then, though you are evil, ooh, know how to give good gifts to your ch children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Another time that you can pray, number eight, when burden weighs you down. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, listen to this, and I will give you rest. Are you seeing the relationship that Jesus died on the cross for? Oh, you thought you prayed salvation so you could go to heaven eternally, and you're just kind of doing your thing here on earth. No, God wants a relationship with us. The ninth thing, thing or time that we could be praying for is we need to pray all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually. 
Now I mentioned Joel Thiessen, our professor at the University of Ambrose. Just in December, he compiled some new data. I wanted to point out one piece of the data. He was studying specifically millennials, and you're gonna be surprised what he found out. During COVID, millennials are less lonely than before COVID. Think about it. Why would that be? We're being isolated. We're being told to stay home alone. Why would millennials feel less lonely? I mean, just think it through. When my kids, my kids are all millennials, when they were growing up, now this dad somehow intuitively knew that I shouldn't have my kids out seven nights a week. So I told my kids, you can be involved in one extracurricular thing and then you got some church stuff. But a lot of their friends, Sunday night was Bible quizzing in the church, Monday night was piano, Tuesday night was soccer, Wednesday night was, I don't know, some volleyball sports, Thursday night was hockey, Friday night was youth set. And you wonder why millennials that actually have to slow down right now? I mean, you raise your kids like that, just, you know, just keep it really busy. You'll never have time to think how depressed you are. Well, that doesn't work. They've actually slowed down now. And they're less lonely. I mean, there's a whole bunch of data to get behind all that. But I was just overwhelmed that these millennials have been forced to slow down, forced to connect well with just the few that they connect with. Where are you at? Is your life so busy, you're not connect, you, you don't have that body, soul, spirit kind of balance in your life where you're connecting with God, you're praying continually? And your soul has so many, you've got anger welling up which is manifesting into, into literal rebellion and sin in a lot of cases. Why don't we refocus our lives? Why don't we get better balance? We certainly have time right now. Let me suggest prayer needs to be one of the things you begin to add into your life. It just becomes natural. It becomes habit forming. I want to suggest to you some different kinds of prayer. Uh, you know, because we're people, we, we, I was reading an article a while back that most of us in Canada eat like kings ate 200 years ago. What I mean is this, kings 200 years ago, they had every kind of spice you can imagine, they had every kind of meat you can imagine, they had potatoes, rice, whatever it was. They, they constantly had different foods. Back 200 years ago, us non-king people, we usually had one meat, we had potatoes, salt and pepper maybe, maybe some onion and garlic in the summer. That's it, that's what we ate all the time. Maybe some, we ate the same thing over and over and over and over again. We are so spoiled today, we are so, we just always want different. So I'm giving you lots of suggestions because of that in, our, in your prayer. Uh, the kinds of prayers that you could be doing, uh, in our prayer meeting this morning, we did beehive prayer. Now what beehive prayer is, is where two or three are gathered together and agree in my name. You just agree that you're all gonna pray out loud. And, and every time I hear it, like I, I would love to be able to, maybe next Sunday we'll think about doing something like this. But have you ever been in a room when all the Christians are praying at the same time, loud enough that you can almost hear each other? You know where it strikes me? If you've ever read Revelation 5 in the New Testament, and, and you might notice this picture that's painted there. There's, there's this throne where Jesus is sitting and, the, and God the Father is there. 
And right at the throne, there's these two big bowls. And the scripture says these, these bowls are filled with the prayers of the saints. I could almost hear the, the, the light murmuring of prayers. And, and when we come together in beehive prayer, like so you as a family could do this, or we as a church could do this, at the prayer summit coming up next Sunday, six o'clock, we're gonna do some beehive prayer. A lot of us could be doing in our prayer what we call hearing God prayer. Did you know in North America, and I'd have to ask one of our professional counselors in the church, but there is a, a disorder in North America, fairly unique to us, where we actually can't stop. We always gotta stay busy or we start feeling mentally unstable. And so it can be really tough for us, but just being quiet and hearing God. Uh, this verse always confused me in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. And I, I would read that and go, how in the world did they know what the Holy Spirit thought? And for me, I just said, well, I just need to read the Bible. That'll tell me. It is true. The number one way God speaks to you is in the Bible. And we so seldom even read it. Except for on Sunday mornings, we finally pull out our Bibles. The pastor's got some verse and we read some. And we wonder, why are we feeling like the millennials and we're lonely and off kilter? Number three way that we can pray is when two or three gather together. Matthew 18, Jesus talked about this in verse 19. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We heard that this morning, praying for an IW. It works, it's result. We don't even get together. It's not even something that we go, you know, we're eating lunch together and we'll, we'll maybe Anthony, you could pray. What if we all just stopped and prayed quietly? You know, we said, hey, maybe we should be praying for, you know, our premier. He's been going through a tough time or our local MP or MLA. It's kind of a little bit like beehive prayer, but when we sit there and agree, so when my elders pray at 6 a.m. every Tuesday morning, Right now it's on Zoom, so I mute myself. And uh, some people actually mute their picture too. But what I do is I just agree. If, if John Mayer is saying, oh God, let us become a church of prayer, I'm going, amen, Lord. Let's have that. When two or three are gathered together. Number four, you can go in your own closet and pray. Matthew 6, 5 says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. This is a whole sermon in and of itself. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, they might be two or three gathered together, but they're getting their reward because everybody thinks they're so amazing. And that's all. They don't even get their prayer answered. But when you pray, and this is a tough one, because what's the number one thing we always cut out in our lives? Prayer, Bible reading, because... Well, it, you know, nobody notices that in my life except for me. But when you pray, go into your room. Some translations say your closet. And the real sense of this was kind of just a, a storage room off the edge of the house. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed by yourself? I prayed by myself driving up this morning in my car. I was praying out loud. I just got my reward by telling you. Just messed that up. This text is about genuine, real connection with God. 
and connecting with him in conversation. Prayer really is just conversation with God. We can have warfare prayer. Number six, Mark 9, 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him, now, what had happened up to this point, they, they went out and they ran into a guy with a demon and they couldn't cast the demon out. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Some translations, some ones that are older that took some of the newer stuff, says by prayer and fasting. This is warfare prayer, people. I mean, when you are convinced that God is leading you in a certain direction or you feel under a real spiritual attack, get on your knees and keep praying until you're told to stop. People will ask me, how long should I pray? Until God tells you to stop. How long should you pray for healing? Until God tells you to stop. I remember in my last church, a guy's wife left him. And he said, how long should I be praying for her to come back? And I said, until God tells you to stop. And he said, well, God hasn't told me to stop. And I moved away, and I don't know if he ever stopped praying for her. I remember my first warfare prayer when I went into my closet. Well, it was in my bedroom. I was 11 years old. Now, this is going to be surprising to you because most of you who grew up in the church, you probably always prayed. But I had a dog named Trixie, and she had, I think it was, I don't remember, some weird gallstone thing. And it was killing her. She couldn't go to the washroom. And so we took her to the vet. And the vet phoned, you know, let's say it was on Tuesday night and told my family, she needs surgery. And it's going to cost you whatever. Now, I grew up in a family with five kids. Only dad worked. It was government wages and they weren't great. And so uh, in the morning, dad at the breakfast table informed us all that mom was going to be phoning the vet and saying to put the dog down. I prayed warfare prayer because I loved that dog deeply. All day, I was, I was under such a cloud and I just had this real anxiety and I said, oh God, I, I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to talk to you, but would you save my dog? And I remember getting on the bus to go home I remember walking in the door, and there's my mom, smiling ear to ear. I said, what's going on? She goes, your dad, he phoned at 10 o'clock. He couldn't even work. He, he just couldn't stop thinking, save the dog, save the dog. And so we phoned the vet, and Trixie's had her surgery, and she's made it through, and she'll be home tomorrow. And I was going, I was dumbfounded. I was shocked. And I, you think that should have inspired me to more warfare prayer? I mean, I thought it was over. I thought it was a done deal. But I prayed warfare prayer. I remember the second time that really comes to my mind. I was pastoring in Tumblr Ridge. I had spent three months planning, scheming, working. I was going to put on an outreach for the community, and I was going to get people to invite others. I had a speaker lined up. I had special music lined up. And we were going to do this. We were going to really reach the community. And I remember a week and a half before, on a Wednesday night, I climbed the highest outlook or, or it was called the bald spot above Tumblr Ridge. I remember raising my hands and praying and I said, oh God, please save this town. Now you probably know the rest of the story. On Thursday night, I was in a plane crash. Best friend died. I laid in the hospital during the whole outreach. And in fact, I was so mad. I remember laying in bed going, oh God, like, I, I, I need to be there. I need to be there helping make this thing come off. And, and I remember God saying, you don't need to be there. I've got it. 
And I remember being so upset about so many things and God talking about, you know, that God is going to take the simple things of this world. You just need to be obedient. Be obedient and bad, pray. Well, if you don't know my story, over 30 adults prayed to receive Christ that weekend. And we're a little church of like 30 people at that time. And I believe it was about 35 children that prayed to receive Christ. That was unbelievable. That was unfathomable. And you know why a lot of those people came out is because I was in a plane crash. And it was about four weeks later, I stood up, I had to be helped up in the pulpit, all injured, and I preached a sermon and the place was packed. Now, if you knew Tumblr Ridge at that time, the town would go from, um, it went from 6,000 down to about 3,000 while I was there. So that summer, everybody moved out and it didn't make much difference in the church. And so I got on my knees and I climbed to the bald spot and I prayed again, oh God, help us as a church. We need that sense of desperation. We need to move ourselves ahead as a church. We need to quit relying on all of our own efforts, all of our plans, all of our... It doesn't mean we're going to stop planning because we're going to keep... It doesn't mean we're going to stop doing a budget. It doesn't mean we're going to stop paying the lights. It doesn't mean that we're not going to say, oh God, should we put an ad on the radio? We're, we're going to do our best. But we need this desperation of prayer. And this coming Sunday night, a week from now, at 6 p.m., and if you've been going through our 21 days of prayer, my faith probably wasn't really big, but I said, oh God, please help 50 more people than came out last time. And this is COVID, and I know it's tough. We have the space, so last time we had 30, so I'd need 70 to show up. And I hope, and, and we're gonna have worship, and we're gonna have beehive prayer, and we're gonna have individual prayer, and we can't really do the two or three together prayer, maybe a little bit. But we're going to pray in desperation as a church. We're in a recession as a church. We're in decline as a church. We need to change things up. Can you imagine if we started to pray like we should be? Can you imagine the Grand Prairie headlines? Like the book of Acts. Three Muslim leaders pray to receive Christ. Three Mormons begin to denounce their extra-biblical stuff and come to Christ. Can you imagine three money launderers, three drug dealers? You know, can you imagine if we started to pray? Can you imagine how people's soul wounds or their anger is abated and healing begins to come and their health begins to improve? Can you imagine what it would be like? So in conclusion... And I wrote down, can we up our prayer? I'm going to personalize it. Can you up your prayer? And it's going to take a little bit to get into all these habits of praying continually in all these occasions. Number two, can you commit to pray often and alone? <laughs> Don't do it just so that we all see it, because you'll probably get your reward just for that. Especially if you, you know, even in the scripture it says you're supposed to put oil in your hair and wash your face and look really good so nobody knows you're fasting or praying. But can you imagine if we prayed? And number three, can you commit to praying with others? Pray alone, but also pray with others. Wherever you are as followers of Christ. What we discovered with the front porch challenge, some of our people went to their neighbors who were not churchgoers, handed them an invitation, said, hey, can I pray for you? Do you know very few people will say no? Most people go, well, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll help. Yeah, I've got this sick dog. I've got this sick child. I've got, 
a cough that won't go away or I'm worried or I'm afraid. And, and people prayed at the, can you imagine being a church that prays? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Oh, would we get a view of the cross that we would understand is just not about eternal life. Oh, that's part of it. But as we've read the scriptures, it's about connecting with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And you gave me that old hymn this morning as I was driving to the church. <laughs> oh God, let us connect to the Father through Jesus, your Son. May we be a change, a desperate people. May we just cry out in warfare prayer for our children, our grandchildren. May we cry out in warfare prayer for our neighbors, the lost ones that need Jesus. Would, 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 if, even if there's some fear about COVID, may it just drive us to pray that anybody that might get sick, they would know Jesus. Or those of us that are angry and think this is just government conspiracy, whatever it is, may that drive us to prayer, not to, not to anger, but to prayer. Or, or when somebody we dearly love and know dies suddenly, oh God, instead of anger, may that drive us to prayer that every tribe and every nation and every individual would know who you are, Jesus, and that you have come to save the world. You have come to save me. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Please stand with me. And again, next Sunday night, 6 p.m., please come and pray. We're gonna to try to keep it fairly tight to an hour. Because of COVID, there's certain elements that we wanna introduce like communion and stuff and we, we hopefully will do that in the future. So we'll keep it fairly tight to an hour. We'll make it tight so that you can get used to actually coming here to pray. But we'll have lots of guided prayer. We're not gonna just give you a list and just say pray. We're gonna help you with that different types, different ways. And uh, we'll have some worship, and it's going to be great. Uh, we hope to have some of the ministry staff to give some testimonies and prayer requests for their ministries. And so come. You want to hear how the church's going? Come out to that. We also have a hearing God in two weeks. And uh, last I checked, now it's been a week, but we had, I think we had four people signed up. And uh, I know it's COVID, and I know there's... And, and if you can't afford it, I think we even dropped the price to... $25, I think. You can't afford that, just let us know. We just want you to come. And uh, you will not regret coming to a set free. Because it deals with a lot of those soul wounds and the hurt and the frustration. And you break off in little triads and you, you, you basically talk to each other about what you're frustrated. And then you pray for each I mean, how could that be bad? You know, how to confess your sins one, one to another and pray for each other. And it, it doesn't, how could that be? I mean, I can always need that. But Second Chronicles, we're going to end with that in chapter 7 instead of the usual. And I want you to hear it really. It, it's not a blessing, so I was reluctant in doing it because I, I love to bless you as you go out of here. But there really is a blessing at the very end if you pay attention. It's conditional. But there is a blessing, and it says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves 
you know, our methods, our schemes, our paper and pen and calculators, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this is if my people, the church, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, listen to this, hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and this gets exciting, and will heal their land. Amen? Go in fellowship and peace.